Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. All right. What's up, Central? You guys doing good? Okay, nice. Well, it's good seeing you here in the room. Also want to give a shout out to those of you tuning in online. A special shout out to those of you in the Central family uh, serving a beautiful day all across our city, uh, San Jose Christian School, and multiple sites. Uh, thanks for your generosity. Thanks for serving so faithfully uh, because of your generosity. Actually, today we're, we're all over San Jose as a church, um, just re- revitalizing our city, beautifying uh, the city that we love. And uh, we're grateful, grateful for that and super grateful uh, for those of you here in the room that have joined us as we continue our study through this amazing chapter of Romans chapter 8. It is really the crown jewel of the New Testament, which you've heard me say before. If you've been with us, been sharing quotes from spiritual leaders throughout the ages, and the general theme is that Romans 8 is a pretty big deal. Here's another list. Uh, John Piper said that Romans 8 is the most remarkable chapter in the Bible. J.I. Packer, the great theologian, says no chapter of Scripture reaches higher peak than Romans chapter 8. John MacArthur said Romans 8 is the Christian's Magna Carta. It's the declaration of our spiritual rights. And what we read today is a declaration of our spiritual rights. It's a declaration of what what Jesus has done for us, how the Holy Spirit is working in us, how how God the Father has had plans uh, for us. It starts with these words, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. And after verses 1 and 2 in Romans chapter 8, Paul goes into this discourse of recognizing and celebrating the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And so what we've seen so far is that the Holy Spirit changes our thinking. When the Holy Spirit takes residence in us, it changes the way we approach life. He changes the way that that we, we think about things. I think we have a list of some of these. They're in your notes, if, if not. Uh, the Holy Spirit, number two, produces life and peace in us and through us. We saw this a couple weeks ago. As Paul says, the mindset on the Spirit is life, is peace. You want life, you want peace. It comes by surrendering to the Holy Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to do a deep work in us. Number three, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. We saw this at the moment of your salvation. The Holy Spirit, God, very God, not second to the Father, not second to the Son, but, but this third piece of the Godhead takes up residence in us and therefore changes us, empowering us, helping us, guiding us. Number four, the Holy Spirit will resurrect us. How, how powerful is the Holy Spirit within you? Paul says the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. I mean, you have resurrection power in you right now, not because of how great we are, but because of the Holy Spirit has taken residence in us. Number five, we saw this last week, that that the Holy Spirit's one of the the functioning roles of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is to make us more and more like Jesus. We use this $5 term, sanctification, Paul talked to us about last week. And we discovered last week that we become more like Jesus, not just by, by white knuckling and really trying hard, but rather we train hard. We practice like Jesus lived. We live like Jesus lived. And in doing so, we create space for the Holy Spirit to operate in our life, to shape us into the image of Jesus. And now today, number six, the Holy Spirit confirms our adoption. 
the Holy Spirit confirms our adoption as God's kids. The title of today's message is Children, a Child of the King. Congratulations, church, on your adoption. You've been adopted by the King. So with that as an introduction, we're all up to speed on where we've been so far in Romans chapter 8. If you would, would you stand to your feet with me? In honor of God's word, uh, we're going to read today's passage uh, out loud, then we're going to begin to unpack it. Uh, if you could, really loud, really proud, uh, read the red letter words out loud with me. Here's our verses for the day. It's Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, the first part of 17, 17a. And it reads this. It says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are... For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. God. And if, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. God, we thank you for the magnitude, for the weight of these words addressed to us as Central Christian Church, but also addressed to us personally as individuals. God, would you help us? to unpack and to wrap our minds around this idea that you have adopted us as your child today, God. May that shape us. May that change the way we perceive life, the way we we live life day to day, the way we perceive eternity, the way we engage with you, oh God, in our relationship on a daily basis. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before you're seated, why don't you give someone a high five and say congratulations on your adoption. Congratulations. On your adoption. <laughs> well, I don't know if you noticed in that set of passage that we, we just read, but it, over and over, you're sons of God, you're children of God, you're heirs of God. And what an astonishing, what a marvelous, what, what a mind-blowing truth that Paul delivers to you delivers to me as followers of Jesus today. The theme of this verse is adoption as children of God. And to put it in greater context of Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation. Why? Because you've been adopted. There'll never be any separation from you and God. Why? Because you've, you've been adopted. Should death or hardship or nakedness or famine or sword separate you? No. Why? You've been adopted as God's child. May we marvel at that reality. May we never come to this place in our spiritual journey where we say, you know what, I think I, think I figured out that salvation concept. Like, you know, may we, we always marvel at the grandeur, at the grace, at the radical generosity of God towards us in this one word, salvation. And there's so many different angles of salvation that we could look The Bible gives so many metaphors for this idea of salvation. Early on in the Bible, we see salvation depicted as this this ark delivering people from judgment, from from destruction. We see salvation depicted throughout Scripture as as God, the good shepherd, guiding us, leading us as his sheep. We've seen that that salvation can be be mentioned in a forensic term, that that Paul says you've been justified, like like the just judge has made a way to set his people free. 
We see salvation depicted in this word sanctification as, as God allows us to step into this abundant life that he's promised us, this life brimming over with life. And the way you step into it is to, to live life as Jesus did. But one day salvation will be, be experienced as, as glorification. But I think one of the most profound, one of the most amazing, one of the most vivid metaphors, one of the most, most descriptive terms for your salvation, for my salvation, is adoption. It's amazing. John 1, 12 says this, yet to all who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. How? We've been adopted. Ephesians 4, or 1, 4 through 5 says this, long before he laid the earth's foundation, he had us in mind and he settled on us the focus of his love to be made whole. And don't we want that? To be a whole people, to not feel like, man, we're, we're half of ourselves. How do we do that? By, by being made holy, to living life like Jesus, holy by his love, set apart by his love. Long, long ago, he decided, what he decided to do? He decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. First John 3.1 says this in the New King James, behold. It's like, don't miss this. Like, check this out. This is amazing. Behold, what manner of love has the Father bestowed on us? How does God love you? Behold, what, what manner, what kind of condition, what kind of love does the Father have for you? What manner of love does he bestow on us that we should be called children of God? And that is what we are, he goes on to say. Why? How? Because we've been adopted. So I'm a little bit excited about this, this topic today. It's an amazing, amazing reality that I'm excited to unpack for us. But before we get to our text, I want to kind of frame up for us adoption in general. And as Paul's writing to this church in Rome, it's important for us to kind of sit in what they would have, how they would have interpreted these words in Rome. Because there's significance to it. In our, in our American culture, adoption means a lot of things and there's some similarities. But there's so much more richness when we understand the historical and contextual realities of adoption of a Roman citizen. Well, first off, adoption, just in a general term, is obviously the process when an individual or a couple uh, takes into their family a child not their own with all the privileges as if that child were their own child. What's interesting in Paul's day, in many ways, an adopted child had more rights or had more privilege than even biological children. And there's significance to this because unlike biological children, the adopted child was chosen by that family. Everything in Romans chapter 8 becomes clear when we understand that he has adopted us. So a little bit of background. Uh, number one, uh, in Roman law, it's important for us to understand this term. It's, it's parapotestas. It's this idea that the father has ultimate authority. So in Roman culture, the father of the home had ultimate authority over his kids. And so even to the extreme that if the father said, hey, I want to kill my son, he could kill his son without any legal ramifications to the father. So the, son could, the father could literally say, you live or, or you die. 
The Father has ultimate power, which makes adoption this very tricky concept in the Roman culture. Really, for children to be adopted, it was either have to be an orphan uh, that was, was given up after birth or a, a slave that did not have rights. Or in some circumstances, whenever a father uh, had a biological son and another man either couldn't have sons or perhaps that father had kids, but he didn't, he didn't trust his kids enough to, to oversee his estate. And so in those circumstances, a, a father, uh, could, he could approach, a father, could approach another father and say, I want to adopt your grown son. And that was often, it seems weird in our American culture, but that frequently happened in, in Roman culture. In fact, it's kind of a who's who of Roman emperors who were adopted. Julius Caesar adopted Augustus Caesar. It was not his biological son. Augustus Caesar would later adopt Tiberius Caesar. Tiberius was not his biological son. Trajan was adopted. Hadrian was adopted. If you've ever seen the movie Gladiator, Marcus Aurelius was adopted. And our list could go on and on. And these were adopted not as babies, but as, as, as young teenagers or 20-somethings. It was very common in Roman culture. The second step, uh, uh, second, there's two steps in, in an adoption. Uh, the one, uh, first step in a Roman adoption is mancipata. We get our English word emancipation from this word. It's this, this idea where someone is set free. And in Mancipato, the biological father and the adopting father would come before a community. And the adopting father would bring uh, some money, some gold, silver. And the, uh, the biological father would bring scales. And they would have this ceremony where the, the biological father would place the gold or silver on the scales and then remove them. This, uh, this image of I'm selling my son, no, I'm buying my son back. And this would happen three times. I'm selling my son, no, I'm buying my son back. And the third time, the biological father would sell his son and not buy him back. And in that moment, Mansipato took place. That son was free from the father's rule. He was no longer under that father's reign. The father, the biological father could no longer say, you live or you die. But then the second step of that was vindicato. And this is where the adopting father would go before the Roman magistrates and present a legal case and there'd be seven witnesses, and they would stamp this as, hey, this, this boy is now belongs to this father. And there's four results or four consequences of Roman adoption. Number one, the adopted person lost all rights to his old family and gained all the rights of his new family. Second, the adopted son became full heir of his father's estates, even if there were other sons. In other words, the adopted son was not second-class son. The adopted son was a full heir. In some cases, in many cases, the biological, the adopted son had more rights, had more inheritance than even the biological kids. Third, the adopted person's old life was completely wiped out. In other words, if they had debts, all debts were canceled. If they had a criminal record, all crime was expunged from the record. It was literally as if the previous person never existed. Incidentally, adoptions didn't happen much in kids. They were most often in young adults. Fourth, in the eyes of Roman law and society, it was as if the adopted person was literally and completely the son of the new father in every sense. So the church in Rome, receiving this letter from Paul, would have understand adoption in this lens, through this context. 
And so now let's look through those four four points again in light of what Paul says here in Romans chapter 8. The first reality, the first consequence of adoption is that the adopted person lost all rights of his old family and gained all new rights of his new family. Listen, you've gained rights. God has adopted. You've gained rights into the family of God. That's what Paul says in Romans 8, 14 through 15. For, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. I got a new family. Old family's gone. New family has come. Number two, the adopted person became full heir of the father's estate, even if there were other sons. And what does Paul say in verse 16 and 17? The spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we're children, then you are an heir. You're an heir of God and co-heirs with Christ. Are you kidding me? Number three, the adopted person's old life was completely wiped out. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians? This means if, if you're, that anyone who belongs to Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. How? You've been adopted. Your record is expunged. Your debt has been paid. And it's as if your previous life never existed. As Jesus would say, it's you must be born again. How do we experience that? Adoption. Number four, in the eyes of Roman law and society, it was as if the adopted person was literally and completely the son of his new family in every sense of the word. What does Paul say? We are children of God. Not just a metaphor, in reality. And I don't know about you, but to be a Christian now means I'm a child of God. To be a Christian now in every sense of the word means I belong to the living God. To be a Christian means that I've been adopted. And now now I'm I'm a child of God in every sense of the word. I don't know about you, but I get excited for that. And I think that's worth celebrating, right? Like God's done something for you. Like it's awesome to marvel at the reality that you've been adopted. Now with that as a backdrop, I think... I want to think about what what the Spirit does in relative to our adoption. How's the Spirit at play in our adoption? The Spirit's a witness to our adoption. The Spirit's at work in our adoption. We see that played out in three different ways. The first way that we see that played out is, number one, the Holy Spirit leads us. If you're taking notes, number one, the Holy Spirit leads us. Paul says this in Romans 8.14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And you might be thinking, well, why does he say sons of God? Why not just say children of God? Well, in Roman culture, it was only the sons who could it, it, be heirs in the family business. Only, only the sons could inherit the state, estate. But Paul wants you to know, like, hey, you're full heirs. You're, you're a, a son of God. You're a daughter of God. And you have access to, to the inheritance. He says this, Romans eight fourteen for all who are led by the Spirit, of God. That's a very interesting phrase, those who are led by the Spirit of God. We see it in multiple places throughout the Bible, one of which is Luke chapter 4 and verse 1, where Jesus, after he was, he was baptized, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Mark chapter 1, verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove him, same word, drove him 
out into the wilderness. And I just say that to say this. Sometimes the Spirit of God leads us to places that we would not lead ourselves. The Spirit of God drove Jesus after his baptism, this, this celebratory experience. The, the, John says the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove in bodily form. The sky is open, and God the Father speaks to Jesus the Son, this is my Son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. You'd think he would send Jesus, he would drive him to like this resort to celebrate. But the Holy Spirit doesn't. And I think that's interesting to note. The Holy Spirit leads him to the wilderness where for 40 days he goes without food. 40 days, 40 nights fasting. I just think it's important for us as believers, as followers of Jesus, as people who want to be led by the Spirit, that sometimes the Spirit of God will lead us to places that we don't think the Spirit of God would ever lead us or should ever lead us. But he always leads you, you need to hear this, he always leads you there for your good for your benefit. And a lot of times we just don't see it because we just see wilderness. We see confusion. God, why? But the Holy Spirit is doing a work in you so he can do a work through you. He led the whole, Jesus was driven by the Holy Spirit to the wilderness. Why? Prepare him for a life of ministry and ultimately a life of sacrifice. And I think the Holy Spirit's still leading his people in the same way. Romans 8, 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We could invert this passage and read it, sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. How do we know we're a son of God? Well, we're led by the Spirit of God. How do we know we're a daughter of God? Well, we live life that's led by the Spirit of God. Look at what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in John 16, 13. It says, but when the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. In other words, he's going to lead you. And here's what the Holy Spirit's going to do. He will speak not on his own. He will speak only what he hears and what he, what he will tell you is what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me, to Jesus, by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. The Holy Spirit will lead you. The Holy Spirit will guide you. He'll guide you into all truth. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For all who are sons of God, daughters of God, are led by the Spirit of God. You're a son. You're a daughter. And one of the joys of being his kids is now the Holy Spirit is leading us. The Holy Spirit guides us. You say, well, why me? It's because you've been adopted. Number two, the Holy Spirit frees us. The Holy Spirit leads us. Number two, the Holy Spirit frees us. What does he free us from? Well, the Holy Spirit comes and he frees us from fear. The Holy Spirit replaces fear with freedom. And all that's yours because of your new relationship as an adopted child of God. Listen, before a person becomes a follower of Jesus, before a person surrenders their life to Jesus, there's some very real fear in, in approaching God. There's some reason for very real fear. If there isn't, there should be. Jesus said this, that, that on the day of judgment... A man will give an account for every idle word he's ever spoken. Like the Bible talks about this great white throne judgment and how the books will be open. And it says, and a man will give an account for everything he's ever done. Like every, every lie ever told, every word I should have, I, I, I shaded the truth on, every, every time I hit myself with a hammer and I said that thing that I probably shouldn't have said, like documented. Like no one's going to be sentenced to hell and be like, this is unjust. No, the evidence will be overwhelming. 
And it's a very fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, the Bible says in Hebrews. Jesus said this. He, he said, I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after killing the body has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus knew the Father very well. We have that passage, Luke uh, 12, 5. Yeah. Fear him. Jesus knew the, the Father very well. And he said this. He said, hey, if you're, if, you're not a, if you're not right with God, you should be very afraid of him. Because not only does he have the power to kill your body, he has the power, he has the authority to throw you into hell for all of eternity. That's why as followers of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, man, today's an important day for you. If you're not yet right with God, you might think there's a million reasons why you're here today. You might think, well, so-and-so brought me. They promised me dinner. They, they say, hey, they're going to take me to lunch. So that's why I'm here. But hey, there's a lot of reasons why you might think you're here. But listen, the reason you're here today is that you can hear that there is a very real judgment coming. But you also need to know there's a very real God who loves you, who's made a way for you to experience salvation. And he's orchestrated your steps to be here today to hear that there's hope, that there's a way out, that you don't have to pay your fine. You don't have to, you don't have to go to hell for all of eternity. There's another way. And you can make a choice today. You can say, God, here's the choice. One, you can say, I'm going to keep living my life on my own terms, doing what I want, where I want, how I want. I'm the boss of my life. That's a choice. And that choice has some consequences to it. Another choice that I would suggest is you recognize who Jesus is, that he laid down his life because he wants relationship with you so much. And that in, in doing so, what, it's the easiest decision to make, but it will cost you everything. It's where you say, God, you gave your life for me. God, I give my life for you. Whatever you want for me, God, I'm in, I'm on. Here's my life. Have your way. Both choices have some very real consequences. But when people are living in sin, when people have not been forgiven, our natural in, human instinct is to go into hiding. We see it from cover to cover. In, in Genesis Chapter 1, Adam and Eve sin against God, right? And what do they do? Jesus, God, like the presence of God comes looking for them. Adam and Eve, where are you? And they're like, we're hiding. Why? Because they sin. They experience shame and they hide from the presence of God. The very last book of the Bible in Revelation, Jesus returns. And people who aren't right with God, they hide in caves. They hide behind rocks. Why? Because it's a fearful thing to not be right with God whenever it matters most, but when you've been adopted, what Paul's saying, when you've been adopted, you're free from fear. When you've been adopted, you've been, you've been saved. When you're a Christian, when you're a child of God, there's no fear. Instead of running away from God, we run to God. Romans 8, 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the spirit of adoption. The Spirit was witness at our adoption. The Spirit was there at our adoption. The Spirit is the one who is the active person of the Godhead changing us and training us on how to live as a member of the family of God. Verse 16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are God's children. In other words, the Spirit inside of you, God's Spirit inside of you, bears witness with your spirit that I'm a child of God. How do you know you're right with God? Well, the spirit of God in you bears witness with your spirit that, hey, you're, you're a child of God. You don't have to be afraid. Like, you're, you're good. 
You can come boldly to the throne of grace to receive help and mercy in your time of need. Do you have that confidence? And if you don't, God wants you to. Because the spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are his. He reminds us of who we are. He, he reminds us not to run from God. He reminds us to run to God. He reminds us that he is our father. Verse 15 again, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry. The Greek word there is krozo. It literally means to yell, to shout, Abba, Father. This Friday, I was in the garage. Friday is my day off, and Tiffany got home with the kids, and, and my little baby girl, the boys used to do this, but my little baby girl got on the van. She, Daddy, I'm home. It's that image. This Abba Father, it's the most endearing. It could be Daddy or Papa, I'm home. It's the image, if you don't have kids, it's the image of your dog running to the door, wagging his tail like, you're home, you're home, you're home, and he's licking you and scratching you and jumping on you. You're home. So excited. If you have a cat, you don't know what that experience is like. <laughs> Cats are like, you're home. This is my world. Why are you in it? Dogs love you. That's why dogs are God's favorite. Cats are not. Uh, but same image there. It's like, you're home. Daddy's arrived. Yes. Sorry for all the cat lovers. But it's, you know there's some element of truth to that. Cats don't like people. Awesome. Um, <laughs> But you know, whenever your kids are in trouble, I've never heard a kid, kid yell, doctor, therapist. No, they reach for what's familiar. They reach for what's safe. And as a child of God, whenever you're celebrating, daddy's home, or you're in trouble, daddy, I'm hurt. The spirit inside of us cries out, Abba, father, I need you. It's the spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit working in us, the Holy Spirit working through us. You are his adopted child. Third and final, the Holy Spirit confirms us. The Holy Spirit leads us. The Holy Spirit frees us. The Holy Spirit confirms us. Romans 8 16 through 17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are God's children. So the Spirit bears witness with our spirit, confirms us, and he confirms two things. He confirms, one, we're a child of God. We've talked about that. Number two, he confirms that we are heirs. Look what Paul says. And if children, Holy Spirit's already confirmed that, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Listen, you have an amazing fortune. You have an amazing inheritance. I don't know. What, imagine this. This week you get a letter in the mail. And this letter is specifically addressed to you. And this letter says, hey, I know you've never met him, but you have an uncle. And your uncle is filthy rich. Matter of fact, he's the richest man in the world. Forbes magazine ranked him number one of the wealthiest human beings in the world. And I know you've never met your uncle but I'm sad to inform you that your uncle has recently passed. But we've gotten a hold of your uncle's will and your uncle has left you an inheritance. The uncle has assigned to you all his wealth, all his estates. You are now an heir of an incredible fortune. How many would like that? 
Yeah, I mean, I would. Why not? Bring it on, baby. I'm just telling you, you got a letter in the mail. And it's specifically addressed to you. And it's straight from the Holy Spirit, delivered through Jesus the Son, from the heart of a father. As my child, you have an amazing inheritance. An inheritance that can never spoil, can never fade, can never be taken away from you. Much better than any worldly wealth could ever deliver. If your rich uncle gave you an inheritance, well, then you'd have to figure out how to insure it. You'd have to figure out how to invest it. You'd have to figure out how to put a camera on it. But your inheritance is secure, available to you in heaven. The Holy Spirit is the one who delivers the news. The Holy Spirit's the one who confirms the news. The Holy Spirit's the one who, who tells you, you think this world has something to offer you. Listen, your inheritance is going to be so much greater. Just wait for heaven. The inheritance is too wonderful for words to describe. It's too wonderful for our minds to fathom. Galatians 4, 7 says this, Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Ephesians 1.11, furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance to make us his very, to make everything work out according to his plan. I mean, if your uncle offered you all the riches that Forbes magazine could calculate, how much more does God, the creator of the universe, have something much better for you? you you're an heir. You have an inheritance. It's amazing. 1 Peter 1.4 says, and we have a priceless, it's a priceless inheritance. In other words, Forbes magazine couldn't even quantify it, that they can't even calculate. It's a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that's kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond reach of change and decay. In other words, no one can steal it, nothing can ruin it, nothing can decay it. It's secure for you. It's your inheritance. What's the inheritance? That's a good question. If someone's like, hey, I got an inheritance for you. You're like, well, great. Does that mean like a bunch of junk I don't really want? What's, what's this inheritance entail? Well, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 says this. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. What did he promise him? Everything. 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 Now let's jump to Romans 8, 17. And if children, then you're an heir, an heir of God and fellow heirs with Christ. According to the Bible, what do you inherit? Everything. You're an heir with Christ. The New King James says heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. The NIV says heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. God the Father has given everything to the Son. He has adopted you and he's given you full rights. You're a full heir. It's all yours. You say everything? Everything. You're rich beyond your wildest imagination. And frankly, I think that is what allows us to be very, very generous right here, right now. Because we know, God, you've given us everything. You haven't hold, held anything back from us. So we can trust you with everything. Let me just offer a little twist in this, a little caveat, something to think about. And what if the inheritance isn't just stuff? 
I think there is stuff. I think there's tremendous stuff. I think there's stuff in your inheritance that's really too wonderful for our minds on this side of eternity to even grasp or fathom. But what if there's more? And I think there's more. Matter of fact, I think there's much, much more than just stuff. What if the inheritance he's talking about is not just a gift? What if the inheritance he has for you is the gift giver along with the gifts? Psalm 73, 25, whom have I in heaven but you and on earth there's nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart might fail, but God, you're the strength of my heart and my portion. You're my inheritance forever. God, it's you. What will make heaven so heavenly? It will not just be the streets of gold, though that will be pretty cool. It will not just be that that what we consider as priceless, what we consider as valuable in heaven, it's going to be used as like, like construction material, the Bible talks about it. You can read it in Revelation 21. It talks about how the streets are not made of concrete, not made of asphalt. They're made of pure gold. Things that are like, this is so precious to me. Well, it's asphalt in heaven. Walls not made of wood or drywall or bricks. Walls made of precious stones. Gates not made of iron, not made of wood slats. Gates made of jewels. Again, it's all in Revelation 21. But look at what also is in Revelation 21. Revelation 21.3, he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. You have an inheritance that's so amazing. Like it's worldly wealth, like doesn't even quantify it. Like heaven's going to be so miraculous, so, so amazing, so awesome in every sense of the word. Streets of gold, gates of jewels, precious rubies make up the walls. Like, are you kidding me? But more important than all of that is that God himself will be there. God himself will be with you. And if you've ever had a moment where in worship, where you feel like, gosh, I think God just touched me. I think I'm experiencing an open heaven right now. Maybe in a moment of a message where you feel like, I think God's directly speaking to me. I think, I think if, if no one else was in the room, I think God was talking to me right then, right there. Maybe you're reading your Bible. It's like, God, you made it come alive. Those little moments are just a taste of what heaven will be like. When we get to heaven, there won't be this, this distance. The Holy Spirit is now a deposit, a little foretaste that God in you, but in heaven, God will be with you, walking with you, talking with you. You'll be healed. You'll be whole. Sin no longer contaminating your thoughts. Sin no longer contaminating your relationships. Sin no longer contaminating your, 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 your distractions. Like, like free with God forever. Paul's saying the Spirit bears witness to that. The Spirit inside of you is just a foretaste of that. In heaven, we'll experience Him fully. We'll walk with Him closely and enjoy Him for all eternity. He is the focal point of everything that heaven contains. Until then, God has given us His Holy Spirit, confirming in us that we are God's children. He's adopted you. 
congratulations on your adoption. You are a child of the King. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that radical truth.